You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this. You'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, in the 1960s, television network NBC did something so crazy that it set a new standard for the way television contracts were written. I guess we can all agree to just blame Heidi. Every year we make them, but most of the time, they fail. Why is it so hard to keep our New Year's resolutions, and what can we do to be more successful at staying committed? It's cold. You have frost on your windshield. You have to leave for work or to the store in about 15 minutes. You go start your car, right? I mean, it's what's best for your car, right? Right? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, an interesting thing happened to me a few weeks ago. So it's probably been like, I don't know, two years now since I officially cut the cord on my cable and have since ended up actually spending way more money by purchasing all of the various streaming options, but I digress. Anyways, when I decided to cut the cord, Jay, I did a lot of research and ultimately landed on YouTube TV as my live TV streaming provider. I think I actually sold you on it as well, correct? Yeah, I've been uh, rocking YouTube TV for a little while. At a boy, uh, you know, I was boy. pretty frustrated with the lack of options in cable. So, yeah, I made the move too. Well, speaking of frustration, th- there was actually a window of time, and I'm not even sure if it was more than 24 hours or not. But YouTube failed to reach a deal somewhat recently with Disney and thus had all of the Disney-owned channels, things like ESPN, ABC, the Disney Channel, they all went black, making them unavailable. Now, while the two sides quickly came to an agreement and the channels were restored, the small time frame a couple weeks ago left all YouTube TV subscribers like me and you without access to these channels. And Jay, here's the part of the story that matters for today's segment. If you were watching one of those channels at the exact moment that the deal expired, your channel just went black. Whatever you were watching just turned off. So I was watching a college football game, and the game was nearing the end. It was just getting good, honestly. And bam! Nothing. Now, while I personally didn't care about that specific game so much, I was just annoyed with the situation as a whole. The Twitterverse, though, erupted in collective anger because they had missed the end of this game. Jay, that situation got me thinking about perhaps the most infamous disruption in television history. Are you familiar with the Heidi Bowl? No, I have no idea what that is. Oh, you are going to (laughs) enjoy this, my friend. I will tell you that, uh, as you know, a lot of times these contract negotiations can get very petty. And so the day after the ESPN thing expired, uh, the Disney deal that you're talking about, I got a sponsored ad on Instagram from Disney, and it just said, 
if you are a YouTube TV customer, you've lost the following channels. And it just had them listed. That was it. That was all. And it was a sponsored ad. So they paid for it just to shove it in my face. Well, Jay, in November of 1968, the then Oakland Raiders and the New York Jets played one of the greatest endings to a football game in NFL history. And unless you were there, you didn't see it. The game was a classic before it even started. The Jets and Raiders were both stacked with talent in the late 60s, and the game featured 10 future Hall of Famers between the two squads. By the time the final minutes of the game rolled around, both teams had traded the lead eight times. Due to the intensity of the game, including aggressive penalties and the strategic use of timeouts, the anticipated runtime of the game had gone a little long. The drama that was about to play out on the field was the stuff of football legend. The Jets kicked a field goal with just over a minute left to take the lead 32-29. The Raiders then quickly answered, scoring a touchdown on the next possession and retook the lead 36-32. The Jets then fumbled the ensuing kickoff, allowing the Raiders to return it for a touchdown. Jay leading to the Raiders ultimately winning the game 43-32. The Raiders had scored twice in nine seconds and America missed it. Why, you ask? Well, because NBC had switched off the game in favor of the previously scheduled programming for that evening, the made-for-TV version of the children's story, Heidi, the tale of a young girl and her grandfather who stroll around the Alps. Jay, viewers were understandably outraged, but things at NBC were going just as they had planned. Network execs had decided before the game started that if the game did in fact go long, they would switch to the movie anyway, regardless of the score. The thinking at the time was that a film like Heidi would score big on rollover viewership after the game. I don't know who thought that. And it was during a crucial ratings window for NBC, what's called the November Sweeps. So that's exactly what NBC programmer Dick Klein did. I waited and I waited, Klein would say later, and I heard nothing. We came up to that magic hour and I thought, well, I haven't been given any counter order, so I've got to do what we agreed to do. Well, unbeknownst to Klein, the studio execs had actually changed their minds and decided against switching from such a tightly contested game, but they couldn't get through to Klein. Remember, no cell phones back then. Two separate armies of viewers were calling the station nonstop and clogging up all phone lines. One group urging the station to change to Heidi regardless of game outcome, while the other begging for the end of the game to air. And Jay, people were so upset about the change to Heidi that they clogged up both the New York Times phone lines and the emergency line for the New York Police Department. (laughs) And this calling craze lasted all night. The result led to what execs call the you never leave an NFL game lesson. This was like before you could just get on social media and just like at New York Jets, at Raiders, at NBC, and then just like say whatever you want. Yeah, you, you had have two to options. just scream into a phone. You had to call or write a letter. Those were your two options. <laughs> but Jay, the result led to what execs called the you never leave an NFL game lesson, which altered future contracts with the NFL that guaranteed that games would always be aired in their entirety. As for Heidi J, well, its rating on Rotten Tomatoes 
The popular site that we uh, reference a lot on this show that collects critic reviews is currently scored as a coming soon. And well, seeing how it's been over 50 years since Heidi aired, I'd say it's safe to say that those who have continued to check back for that final rating may very well be dead. <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine this like being uh, something that happens to me with my team being in that big of a spot. Can't even imagine like missing the end of this amazing game. I'd be raging too. Be calling 911. <laughs> help! Just help! <laughs> So, Dave, we're coming up on the new year, just past Christmas, and uh, for most of us, when we hit the new year, we tend to make some promises to ourselves. So, do you typically make New Year's resolutions? I'm not a New Year's resolution guy, but I am actually batting a thousand on New Year's resolution success rates. So, I'm one for one. I've only ever made one New Year's resolution, and I have kept it to this day, and that's when I kicked Soda Pop. <laughs> yeah, you used to be uh, quite the connoisseur of Dr. Pepper back in the day. Uh-huh. I remember. And nary a drop has touched <laughs> these lips since. Well, come January, you know, many of us will make New Year's resolutions, but sadly, Dave, an estimated 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail by February. In fact, gyms in America, on average, typically see an increase of about 30 to 40% more traffic in January, the vast majority of which is lost by March. Of the most widely reported New Year's resolutions, exercising, as you would expect, falls pretty high on the list at number two, with only saving money higher. Uh, Other common goals include reading more books, learning a new skill, or traveling more. But why do our resolutions tend to oftentimes fail much more than they succeed? Well, a lot of it has to do with our psychology. Motivation is driven in our brains by emotion, which can be powerful and positive, but typically only if it is used for a short-term objective. Emotion is a temporary chemical release in the brain, and while that can fuel us to accomplish our short-term goals, it virtually guarantees that our long-term goals will burn out if we don't take extra steps to set ourselves up for more long-term success. And several years ago, economists Gary Sharnas and Yuri Nisi recruited 120 participants in a study that aimed to analyze motivation. A third of the participants were paid $175 for simply attending an information session and then giving researchers permission to track their gym attendance, and that was all. The next third were paid only if they attended the session, allowed their attendance to be tracked, and went to the gym at least once in the next month. And the final third of participants were paid only if they attended the informational session, allowed their attendance to be tracked, and hit the gym at least eight times in the next month. Now, unsurprisingly, the participants who were expected to hit the gym eight times worked out more, but after the payments stopped, participants in the final third who had that initial strong push kept going to the gym nearly double the times as the other participants, even when no one was getting paid. And this study, Dave, illustrates that long-term success when it comes to sticking to our goals is more attainable when we really start strong at the beginning. Putting in a burst of energy in January can really pay off for much longer than that and may motivate us to stick to our goals longer. 
Researchers also suggest uh, what's called the piggybacking strategy for more success in reaching your goals, which is where you pair something you want to do with something you already regularly do, such as pairing flossing with brushing your teeth specifically instead of just saying that you'll floss more. And another way you can find more success in sticking to your resolutions is to get more specific with what you want to achieve. Setting deadlines or specific milestones makes goals more achievable, such as I will run a 5K by July the 4th instead of I'll run more. Researchers also suggest that framing matters. Psychotherapist Jonathan Alpert put it this way for Business Insider. We need to feed ourselves positive self-talk. Instead of telling ourselves don't eat junk food, we should be telling us the behavior we desire, like eat carrots and peanut butter as a healthy snack. And most importantly, Dave, and really every bit of research says this about goal setting, is that you need to make goals that are specific for you. Don't be influenced by your friends or your family or society because we most set ourselves up for failure when we try to attain someone else's goal. Decide what you want to do and what you want to achieve because you are going to be much more likely to stick to that rather than begrudgingly choosing a goal that you feel obligated to choose. Researchers also caution goal setters to keep their goals realistic and attainable. Don't set yourself up for failure by setting the bar at an unattainable spot. So Dave, with all this being said, is it time for a new year, new you in 2022? Well, I'm not against it. I actually am dedicated to self-improvement. I, I, I really am. I, I want to always be evolving and getting better. Um, but I think that New Year's resolutions are kind of like diets. Like they just don't work. It's not a sustainable thing. You've got to get into some kind of rhythm where it's something to your point that you made during your segment. It's something that you can maintain that you're not just going to drop off of after a couple of weeks. Now we've talked about gyms before. So episode 13, we talked about Planet Fitness, working out in jeans or how to disrupt an industry. Still a great title. And Planet Fitness loves January because when you go to the gym in January, especially a gym like that, you can't even get a treadmill, man. There are so many people that have signed up for just that new year, new me type model that they're just going to show up in January and then they're not going to cancel the rest of the year. And so that's how Planet Fitness stays open. But Jay, there's such a thing as fall off the wagon day. Researchers have determined that the typical day, so the usual day each year that people stop their resolution, they drop it, is the second Thursday of February. (laughs) So if you're thinking about making a resolution, go ahead and circle that date on your calendar. That's February 10th, 2022. That's going to be a tough day for you. Yeah, it's like tricky too. Like you don't want to be somebody who like judges people, you know, in the gym, like, oh, that person's not going to stick with it, you know, because I mean, there were times when before I kind of got in a consistent workout routine, it's like you start and stop and you start and stop. So it just takes time. But yeah, you really just got to make sure that you're not making an emotional decision. Yeah, well, I think there are two signs, though. People tip their hands that they're kind of posing at the gym. One is if they're working out in jeans. The second one is if they're working out in a button up. Put that together. If they're doing jeans and a button-up, they're out of there. They'll be out of there the second Thursday in January. No, hear me out. It's more efficient. You come from work. You're in your work clothes. You work out. You go home. You don't even have to change. You've shaved off a little bit of time of the day. Jay, my boy, as the incredible yet ultimately disappointing Game of Thrones made popular, winter is coming, my friend. And with winter comes the dreaded, very dark, and very cold morning walkout to start your car. 
Now, you and I both get up pretty early. I'm typically up and at it around like 5.45-ish out of my house, around 6.40, 6.45. How about you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Uh, I get up around 5.45. I help get my kids in the car, out the door around 6.30, and then I get out of the door around like 6.50 or so. I will say like getting up at 5.45 is, is really hard, but getting up before 5 is sinful. Like, no one should ever have to get up before five. (laughs) Just thinking about it's making my skin hurt. Well, Jay, part of my morning routine, especially on those cold winter mornings, is to start both my wife's car and my car so that, A, I can get the defrosters rolling, crank some heat into the cabin of the car so it's nice and toasty when we both leave and just be ready for a warm experience. And B, because I've always heard that it is absolutely awful for the longevity of your vehicle to just jump in, immediately start it, and hit the road. But Jay, is that really the case? Today on the show, we answer the question, should you warm up your car in the winter? I just have to say that I'm like terrified for you to do this segment because I do this every single day. Well, how about this? Just chalk this up to unsolicited advice because when it's unsolicited, you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead. So, so to, to help you not stress about it, we'll go ahead and do this segment in reverse. Okay, so I'll answer it and then I'll explain the why. Okay. So should, so, so should you? Well... No, (laughs) you shouldn't. (laughs) Mind blown. You should not start your car early before you leave in the winter. Car experts say that unless you're still driving around in a car from the mid-1990s, which you may be, you do not need to warm up your car. In fact, you don't need to warm up your car for longer than, say, 10 or 15 seconds before you put it in gear and drive away. How is this possible? Well, for starters, it hasn't always been like this. Like I said, up until the mid-1990s, cars did, in fact, need to be warmed up. Warming up a car used to be important for two primary reasons. The less sophisticated nature of both engines and motor oil. Most cars back then had carburetors instead of fuel injectors. And this was pretty standard in vehicles until roughly 1995. And, Jay, carburetors were imperfect devices even at their best. They required at least a little warm-up before they could fire correctly. The changes in oil have allowed oil to flow easier at colder temperatures, meaning it takes just mere seconds for your car to be ready to roll. And even though you and I will probably continue to warm up our vehicles before we leave in the mornings, some car experts think it's actually bad for the car. Stephen Ciotti, the then principal mechanical engineer, internal combustion expert, how about that for a title, at Argonne National Laboratory, told Business Insider in 2016 that warming up your engine while moving actually helps to clean the inner workings of the vehicle, protecting against accelerated wear out. The same is not true of an engine that's been started and is simply idle. And an idle engine isn't only bad for the vehicle. It's been shown to be pretty bad for the environment, too. According to the Washington Post, a previous study in energy policy tried to calculate the consequences of idling. The researchers found that overall, all types of vehicle idling, idling in winter, idling while waiting for someone or something, and idling in traffic, all contribute a staggering 1.6% of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Idling behavior, the paper concluded, is worthy of policymakers' attention. And Jay, some policymakers have taken note through the years. For instance, 
often freezing Minneapolis has had anti-idling statutes in the past that restrict all non-traffic idling to three minutes per hour. Anti-idling laws have popped up across the country through the years, and most follow a similar course like Minneapolis. So, Jay, idling isn't just pointless for the vehicle. It may even cause you to earn a hefty fine. There is one exception to this advice, though. Electric cars. Experts actually do recommend that you warm up your electric vehicles. The reason for this is that warming up an electric vehicle helps to drain less power from the car's internal battery and works to maximize the power and range that the vehicle can go. So, Jay, it's supposed to be 20 degrees tomorrow morning. Are you with me? Are we going to walk straight out to the car, jump in, and just go? So you're telling me I'm supposed to go out and scrape my windshield every morning when I can just let it run for like five minutes and get all the ice off. Is that what you're telling me right now? Depends what kind of person you are. Man, it's not only that, but I got to put my two toddlers out in the car in the morning. They're always complaining about how cold it is. They're always like whining as they get in their car seats. I'm like, listen, boys, uh, you know, dad uh, heard this on a podcast. I'm not supposed to do this. So you're just going to have to freeze your butts off for a second. You're like, and uh, it was your dad's podcast that he heard it on. (laughs) I will say, though, Jay, if you continue to idle, your boys may not have a world to grow up in. Okay, don't do that to me. (laughs) (laughs) You idlers. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review to Commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, CommuteThePodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.